Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am joined today by the lovely Meg Sota. Um, Hi, Meg. Hi, it's lovely to be here. Really nice to have you here. And we connected on LinkedIn. Um, I'm not lying, am I? I do like LinkedIn. I mention it quite a lot, but I'm often on there. (laughs) And yeah, we were just thinking about a number of issues. And and I was like, why didn't you feel maybe about coming along and recording a podcast episode and you were naturally a little bit apprehensive but we uh, you went for it and so thank you for being brave um (laughs) so yeah we were talking about um about a number of things but before we do that could you just give us a little bit of an overview about who you are um and what stage of your journey you're at as an aspiring psychologist meg yep of course um, so currently I'm a trainee PWP and I started that role in March and before that I worked in more um, private mental health organisations, more admin than clinical. Um, I've spent a couple of placements doing kind of voluntary assistant psychology posts but never had um, an employed. I kind of preferred to go down the PWP route as it seemed kind of right for me at the time. Um, I think I've wanted to be a clinical psychologist since I knew what they were. Um, I've taken a bit of a break um, here and there. I think after my undergrad, I was like, no more psychology, I need a break. And so I went kind of more into organisational psychology for a year. Um, But clinical psychology brought me back. Um, That's my interest. And so I'm just kind of building up my experience, hopefully get my qualification for my PWP, and then we'll see where it goes. Brilliant. So um, not everyone listening to this will know what a PWP is. Could you tell us a little bit, um, just a quick run through about what they are, what they do and how the training for it works, please, Meg? Yeah, so it's abbreviated for Psychological Wellbeing Practitioner. And basically the role is within the stepped care model um, of mental health and it's a step two approach. So basically the role looks like you are you are a, a therapist, um, but in a step two approach, which means that it's very low intensity, kind of um, working with people with mild to moderate anxiety and depression. And what we do is it's a lot more like guided self-help than actually you know treating um, a client. So they will come to us um, if they have these issues, we assess them, see if we can meet their needs. And then when we go into treatment, I suppose every fortnight or weekly sessions, 
we will go through various um, different interventions with them depending on what they're struggling with. Um, and so the training for that is 12 months and you're at uni maybe one or two days a week and the rest of the time you spend in service. Um, and then once you've finished your training, that's when you are fully qualified. Um, a lot of people uh, step up um, after they've finished their training or after they've spent a year or two uh, qualified. So then step three is like your high intensity CBT therapists um, or similarly people will then try to get onto the doctorate as well. So it's a really good way because it's very very clinical um you have a lot of contacts in a week um, a lot of clinical hours it's very um high volume work um you don't you know have a long-term relation like therapeutic relationship with your clients but you get through a lot of them um so it's a really really good experience to build up your clinical skills but potentially a bit draining as well if it's if it's absolutely <laughs> yeah absolutely draining i think that I think you need to kind of manage the expectations of the of the role and of the service um, because step two care is the first kind of point of call after your GP. So, you know, we get through a lot of assessments and a lot of them won't be suitable for the service. You know, they'll need either higher intensity treatment or even outside services, you know, if it's more uh, specific within trauma or anything that basically can't be contained within you know six half an hour sessions so it, yeah it can be very draining but for the people that it's meant for it works for and um, so I think that just needs to be kind of like bared in mind if people are, are looking at the looking at going into a PWP role. Brilliant and I know one of the common questions I'll be asked is well do you get paid to train do you have to pay to do the course could you talk us through the finances a little bit Meg? Yeah, so you don't have to pay um, to go on the course. That is all paid for. And you your starting salary is a band four in the NHS. Um, I think it goes up to band five once you are qualified. Um, but yeah, you have no um, payments to for university fees or anything like that. It's all covered within the service. Brilliant. So it's sort of comparable to an assistant post. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, but you're getting specific training and specific sort of modalities and um, for a yeah. specific client group. Is it all adult work? Nope. So you can uh, you kind of choose because you have your adult IAPT services. So PWPs work under the IAPT, which is Improving Access to Psychological Therapy Service. But then there's also a child and young persons PWP. And that is specific for children. Um, there can be a little bit of a crossover. Um, late teens, some are seen as children, some are seen as adults. And um, so, for instance, you know, you could have a 17-year-old client if you're in an adult IAP service, and there'll be certain safeguarding procedures and things that you will have to kind of do that you might not have to do for, you know, your 40-year-old client or something. So there is a little bit of a crossover, but there are two different roles. Great. Thank you for that. And one of the reasons we were chatting on socials um, is thinking about when life deviates from the course we'd intended and the the ensuing panic that can, you know, be awakened within us when that happens of, you know, but I want to get on to training by a certain year or a certain age. And, you know, what will this say about me and how will it look on my CV? And, you know, and I was like, hold on. <laughs> oh, it's okay you know there's no race 
yes um, and we you know we get there when it's right for us and um, I firmly believe I got on training when it was the right time for me and had I got on the year before even though I applied I would have been a bit out of my depth I just wasn't ready at that stage and you know there's that sense of what's for you doesn't pass you by and that you know I know there's a great deal of um competition for these places on doctoral training but um you absolutely wouldn't want to be looking around the room and thinking everybody else is amazing and I really not just as an imposter syndrome I really genuinely do not know what I'm doing like I feel like this is wildly outside my comfort zones you know what I want for you and what I want for everyone else who is successful at getting a place is that they look around and they see their contemporaries actually you know so we would expect on training that at some points you especially if you've worked in a particular client area before that you're like oh this is a bit boring I sort of feel like I know this but as training progresses you might find that teaching on learning disabilities intellectual disabilities or um, you know different areas of mental health that you haven't worked with before you will feel less skilled and so that you've got more to learn but there should be some feelings of mastery in what we're doing it shouldn't feel like totally starting afresh but there should be some bits where you're like this is a bit trickier than I imagined um you know it should feel like a bit of a stretch but not wildly um you know wildly out of your comfort zone so we were speaking about um the impact of work but generally our mental health and how that can how that can affect us at times you know I've absolutely had time off um, for my mental health in the past so when my dad died um, I took a chunk of time off um, to kind of grieve Um, I was qualified at that point um, but absolutely if that had happened during my training I would have done that during my training Um, and but then I'm reflecting on well if that had happened when I was an assistant psychologist would I have still felt that pressure then to mm. keep on striving and to keep my nose to the grindstone? I wonder if I would have done more so. And so I think there's something around the compassionate voices within the services we work in. And I guess the compassionate voices within this podcast as well that really encourage you to see yourself as unique and special and important and that we treat you as such in a service and we you know I know when we are an aspiring psychologist it can feel like you're just a number in the system sometimes um don't know if anyone listening to this has listened to episode 52 of the podcast but it is um all about how to get an assistant psychologist post in modern times and we're thinking about contextual admissions um and that is with um dr alistair and with anna um as well and it's a really useful episode um and definitely i feel that their service is getting it right in terms of treating people as unique and important and special and that they're not thinking about them as short-term fly-by-night employees they really want to welcome them back as qualified staff they want them to feel so understood validated seen heard and important that they want to come back you know it's not like you clock off on your last day as an aspiring psychologist and you think thank god for that you know this would be the ultimate level of success it's like when we're raising children that if your children choose to be in your life in adult life that's the biggest you know the biggest um 
well done, isn't it? You know, a sense that we've allowed them to individuate, but they're still choosing to be in our life. And I think the same is true of um, the services we work in. If we are super keen to go back to them and still be in their lives when we are qualified, that is that is good, you know, because it says that we've had a decent, decent treatment and care. So um, please don't share more than you want to. But would you be able to talk us through how you recognise that actually you weren't really well enough for work um, whilst you were um, whilst you were undergoing your training? But again, keep yourself safe and don't share more than you want to. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I've I'm sure people can relate, especially in this field that you always try to kind of shove your own feelings down and you want to get on with the job and you want to be perfect and you want to do your best and you want to give everything for your clients and. Um, it was earlier on in the year and I was thinking I'm, I'm not feeling so good um, and I'm trying to deliver um, you know meet service outcomes or try and impress my employers and my uni tutors and things like that and I just had no energy left in the tank um, so I couldn't possibly give any more than than I did and it was at that point where I thought okay this isn't working right now I need to take some time to regroup you know do the do some inner work before I then feel able to kind of give my services to other people because I'm a strong believer of you know if if we don't look after ourselves we can't look after anybody else um and so although there was a lot of cotton like a lot of inner conflict with with that because I'm you know I'm very much a perfectionist um and I really want to just give my all all the time the reality of it was my personal situation had changed and I had to kind of respond to that in the most effective way without, you know, kind of sabotaging future Meg or also current Meg. So there was definitely a, a fine balance of trying to, you know, assess the situation, see what I could give and what I couldn't. And it turned out I just couldn't give what what my clients needed. And I think for me, that was the main thing that went through my head was, you know, we have our clients that come into the service for support and for guidance. And at that moment in time, I didn't feel like I could give them my best authentic self. Um, and so I spoke with my uh, line manager um, and his manager, who have been very, very supportive. And they just said, no, you need to look after you first, take some time and come back when you're ready. Um, and I think for me, you know, the timeline of wanting to be qualified as a PWP by a certain time, apply for the doctorate by a certain time, all of that was going through my head when I did You say, OK, I'll take a break. And there was so much shame that brought up, that got brought up because, you know, you, you want to do what you intended to do. And life, unfortunately, doesn't work like that. You can have the next decade of your life planned out fully and something is going to turn, show up and turn your path a different direction. So it's definitely been a learning curve this year. But I think I kind of want to explain that it's probably for the best what's happened this year because I think it could make me into a better practitioner, you know, because I've had the time for myself. I've managed to work on myself and I think a lot of people will be able to relate that they have their own stuff I mean I think that's the main reason why we like to 
be in the field is because we know we know what it's like and we want to be able to help people who have been in similar situations or feeling in similar ways so by me really focusing on my inner work and healing and you know all that sort of stuff I think you know when March comes and when the trainee PWP course starts again I think I'm in a much better position to be able to take it and although I felt you know I loved the job that I was doing and I enjoyed going to uni and I thought every you know I soaked up all of the content and it was honestly it was I found it great fun I knew that it wasn't long lasting it was you know burnout was pending um, and burnout happened and so but now you know after experiencing that I'm now able to implement you know my own well-being strategies into the role back you know in March when I restart my training to know okay what are the signs of that you're working too hard or what are the signs that you need to take a break or things like that so I think it's really important to try not to try and go by your timeline which I'm still battling with you know um but at the end of the day where if you do have to take time off I think it can only be a positive because you are always learning you are thank you for sharing that with us and um well done for having that level of insight and reflection as well so it sounds like that had been you know self-directed that you discuss that with your team but I know um from working in services myself in the past that sometimes it's a top-down process sometimes people recognize with you I'm not sure this is you know the best time for you to be here right now and they might highlight things that they've observed and that can feel really triggering and add to shame but hopefully people are having conversations with their superiors um, or their supervisors that feel compassionate and don't feel judgy or critical or hostile Um, you know we want our staff teams to be well and thriving so that they can help our clients um, to do the same. Um, yeah, I'm really pleased that you had a good experience from your um, supervisors. If you could take some of the learning you've got this year um, to apply retrospectively, is there anything you think could have been different that would have led to a different outcome at the time? Yes, lots of things. I think hindsight is <laughs> is something of a mystery. Um, but yes, yeah, so I think the, where I'm based and where the job was, complete other side of the country. Um, and when I think when you're in the position of being offered this, you know, fancy new job on your road to being a clinical psychologist, you kind of take it without thinking about it because there's, the places are so competitive and somebody says that they want you and you're there. Um, so I just took it and I was like, okay, I didn't really think, I didn't really think it through at all. You know, I'm from the north of the country and on a purely logistic level, the north is cheaper than the south. And so then transferring to the south, I was like, I don't actually know if this is feasible. Um, but so at the time I would commute. I had a family friend in the same city. So I would commute down, stay with them and commute back up. And it was four and a half hours to five hours at a time. Um, so that was kind of the first thing that I was like, hmm, maybe I did not think this through. Um, and also, I think the biggest thing for me is how much you put into the role. I think it's so, you know, it means so much to us, you know, to do a good job and to do great. But I don't think anything is worth the expense of your well-being. 
and I think you know I would do overtime I would when I was finishing work I would read through all of the uni reading even the recommended that wasn't you know core content and even on weekends and before I went to bed and my whole life revolved around being a PWP and I think that that's not possible nobody can work 24 hours a day and although I wasn't you know seeing clients all that time it was constantly on my mind and so I think I would have tried to set more boundaries in place you know when I log off from work you know because I worked from home as well as um in service I'd log off I'd you know I should have hid my laptop or make it a complete anti-work zone so I can then do things for me and you know my family my friends and then come back fresh the next day instead of feeling like you're just continually just being a PWP. And I think, you know, the journey of becoming a psychologist or a practitioner in any discipline, really, I think it you need to be able to take the time because you just want to soak up everything because you do feel like you're on a timeline and you feel like you need to get through it as quick as possible and but actually, in retrospect, if I'd slowed down, then that could have, you know, been more beneficial. And I think even before taking the role, I felt the pressure to do something new. The role came up quite um, spontaneously. I was just browsing LinkedIn and it came up and I thought, oh, OK. And then I applied and, you know, a week later I'd, I'd got the job. And so, it, it, well, there was not much time to think about anything and, because you know we do want to progress on the psychology ladder we we do take things without maybe thinking it through completely and although I, I felt that I was you know competent enough to do the role at the time and I didn't feel out of my depth any more than I should have um I think it's all about balance I think and I you know a lot of people talk about balance um you know, it's coming up a lot in mindfulness practice and all that sort of thing, but it's so important. And I always took it for granted um, and said, I don't need mindfulness, you know, I just need to keep working. But actually, if you can just slow down and take it a step at a time and don't put too much pressure on yourself to be perfect, then I think that would have got me a lot further. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, four and a half hour commute is never going to be doing anyone a good service that's going to make you exhausted before you've even begun that's going to sap the soul out of anybody and I'm guessing yeah, if there'd been a choice for um, a course closer to you you'd have gone for that but this isn't what that was it was like one you know one employing trust who were employing trainee to PWPs you saw it applied and that was that um, but yeah with with a compassionate choice you likely would have gone for one that was half an hour down the road from you but that wasn't available and just to you know put some context in this I absolutely did this I had a bit I had a bit of a wild phase where I like decided I needed an NHS assistant post and I needed it to be in a different clinical area than the one I was working in um, and I scattergunned the country um, with applications and when it came to it and I was offered an interview in Birmingham and an interview in Nottingham, and an interview in the Lake District, and I was living in um, rural Northamptonshire, it came to us like, I don't even want to live in the lakes. I think I thought, oh, that'd be all right. It'd be like uh, an hour and a half or so up 
up the motorway. No, that would have been like three and a half, four hours. That's that's a long way. You just didn't think, Marianne. And we're allowed to be mindful and make choices that work for ourselves and our lives. And of course, we might think that would be a fantastic job. But it might have to be a fantastic job for somebody else that lives more close, you know, that lives closer than I do. And I can compassionately let that one go. I can shrink my geographical area when I'm on track or NHS jobs or wherever so that I'm only traveling within 30 miles. And even that is probably further than I want to travel. So (laughs) we can't do everything. We can't get all the experience. You know, I think about when I um, was um, an undergraduate, I was 18 and I was um, in, uh, yeah, in the theoretical themes and debates lecture and the lovely Alan Granfield was teaching me and I wonder if he's maybe not around anymore because he was a little bit older at the time but he was talking to us about the id the ego and the super ego and I always remember his little impression of the id just going me 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 more 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 it's all for me it's all for me and I feel like it was the id bit of me that was doing all of that scattergun, uh, you know, applying and whether we just need to balance that with our ego and our super ego and our compassionate voices to just soothe everything down and give ourselves some understanding that, you know, there will be another time, there will be another job and things shouldn't feel like a massive stretch. They should feel you know, just within our comfort zones. But if they're not, that's a sign. So we look at window of tolerance a lot in the work I do with people. If they're too much of a stretch, it's going to leave you feeling, you know, hyper aroused or hypo aroused. And those are not good states to be in. No, I'm smiling when you when you say when you share that story, because I think so many people will be in the same boat. I, I mean, I know a few people. I do it myself. I think because there is this kind of expectation on the on the psychology field of, you know, the sooner you qualify, the better and and all of that. You just you just do things, you know, you kind of it's almost like you're on autopilot. You think you're thinking at the time, but actually you're not. And for me, especially, I had a lot going on in my personal life at that time. And although a new job was definitely on the cards because, you know, I'd outgrown my my old role um, and I was ready to be a PWP, I think within the timing of what was going on for me personally, it probably wasn't a good time at all. And, you know, with PWPs, there's two intakes a year. So you've got your March and your September. Um, I, I could have waited till September, but I think there was that, you know, internal pressure of, no, you've got to do it now because... If you take, you know, if you take, if you leave your job and just take a, a couple months off, then what's that going to look like on your CV? And I think we all come back to this needs to look good. You know, even on your LinkedIn page, if there's any gaps in work or if there's, you know, you haven't, you've maybe done a clinical post and then maybe reduced your hours and done more of an admin post or something like that. It, you know, it, there's this pressure of everything has to add up. And I think sometimes in life, the different experiences what ma- is what makes you a better practitioner because, you know, you've got more experience around you than just going from A to B to C to D. You know, sometimes life can take you around, around the back and it could spin you around a bit. But I think 
essentially like we just have to kind of like you said soothe take a breath and try and really think about what is best for us right now instead of what's best for us four five years time because I think that's a very big a very big inner conflict that I have yeah I definitely agree and I think there's this is part of the value of this podcast is because it's very different when someone who understands the profession you're in and understands the struggles that you have says hold on a minute like really like someone needed to say to me Marianne what are you doing why are you applying to the lakes like look at a map do you know where that is you know Uh, and I would have been like oh I've been a little impulsive been a bit hasty um but there's something you know if your mum or you know your auntie goes really like it feels like they don't really understand. So I think, like I said, this is a value of the podcast, a compassionate, non-judgmental, empathic voice just to say it's okay. You know, there will be time. There are, there are other options. There is another path you can take and that's going to be okay too. It's not a race, even though it may feel like it. So yeah, learn from my past mistakes. Um, so that you don't end up doing what I did, which was, you know, semi on the edge of burnout as I slumped on the stairs at my parents' house sobbing because I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. It was all too much. You know, I can't go on a job interview to Nottingham tomorrow. I can't do it. I haven't got it in the tank because I was at that time recovering from a car crash and doing a master's in part-time whilst working full-time and whilst recovering from a, from a breakup of a long-term relationship. I didn't have the energy in the tank to get to Nottingham to go and do an interview for a job I probably didn't even really want, you know? And so learn from me as you listen to this and as you listen to Meg, learn from that, thinking about just taking stock on your individual capacity and your resources right now, which might be different than they were a few months ago, even when you applied, but you're allowed to make the decisions for you right now. Um, and we can't, as you say, predict what might be coming and what, how that might affect our emotional or practical resources. And so it's always okay to take stock and continue to check that things are working for you. And actually what you've found is taking time out hasn't been as bad as you'd expected. No, no, not at all. I think, you know, there is that sometimes it creeps up the inner conflict and I should be in the post right now, I should be doing that. But by taking the time off, I've, you know, I've learned a lot about myself. I've learned a lot about kind of my approach to work to life in general and I think just spending that time of like building up some more inner awareness I think that really has kind of prompted me to move forward in a completely different way that I wouldn't have even thought of this time last year because this time last year it was go 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 um but now I'm you know I'm recognizing when I'm starting to you know lose energy or when my tank isn't quite full or you know when personal circumstances arrive you know that that's life and it's about being able to tolerate that and like you mentioned with the window of tolerance I think this year for me has been all about expanding my window of tolerance because this time last year there wasn't even a window there was maybe like a crack of tolerance (laughs) Um, but we're getting onto a window now so I think it's you know it's so important like you say to just to take your time with things and you know although I would much rather you know be in work I, I'm I'm employed I'm just taking taking the time off um 
and I think, oh, I'm so left behind. My cohort is nearly qualified now, and that could have been me. And you know, all those sort of negative thoughts and ruminations come up. But I'm in such a better place than I was, you know, ten months ago. That actually allows me to kind of take on the role again when training restarts in March in a completely new light. And I've got so much more in my tank to be able to offer. And I've also got the kind of the skills now to recognize when I do need to take a break or, and when I say break, I mean, take the weekend off or like have an evening to yourself or reduce screen time or, you know, anything like that, which before I wouldn't have had any of it. I would, you know, be so adamant to do things my way, to do it, you know, 100%. But, you know, you can't give 100% of yourself all the time. You know, you need to be able to rest. Um, And so I think it's done me the world of good to take some time off, just so I can recognise all of those, you know, inner awareness, really. Absolutely. And, you know, we were thinking about the move towards contextual admissions as well and how actually what you've been through will be really useful in terms of your awareness of services, um, but also, you know, your ability to reflect and to draw on what you've been through. And whilst they say that you don't have to be hit by a bus to know that it hurts, it sure does help, you know, in terms of your empathy for knowing what things feel like. I wouldn't recommend everyone getting hit by a bus. That is a figure of speech. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so um yeah thank you so much for sharing your story with you and I know it's one that many will resonate with and that will be really useful for people in future um yeah no it's been a pleasure to to be on the podcast and I think when I reached out to you initially um I, I did not expect to you know be offered to be on the podcast and like you say at the start although there was a bit of apprehension to start with I just think it's you know, it's nice to hear from somebody who's kind of been through different things. And I know that I appreciate it when guests come on on the podcast. It just offers you a, a new perspective. And yeah, I really appreciate being here. And I hope that I have been of some value um, to others. You absolutely have. And I knew that the questions you were asking were important considerations for so many aspiring psychologist so that's why yeah I'm really glad that you're able to be brave and wishing you all the best with the rest of your training but you know this is an opportunity you get an extra cohort to to have connections with and to draw on for support it's not always a negative you know there's you know benefits to all situations as well and whilst we don't need to shine up the dull side of a penny this is a nice opportunity that you're going in with the full awareness and insight into what this is going to be like and you're still choosing to do it um, but you get a whole new set of people to do it with and then your current cohort will be really interested in still supporting you and checking in with you so it's like it's a really nice situation hopefully too. Yeah absolutely I think it's you know I'm a bit of a believer in everything happens for a reason and this was what was meant to happen and I'm just you know taking taking it on board and just seeing what happens so I'm, I'm really excited for, to start my uh, training again in March and then you know over time we'll see what happens and when the time is ready I think I'll know when I should then start applying for, for the doctorate but for now I'm just going to focus on getting back on training and then getting qualified and we'll see what see what happens from there. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. Wishing you a lovely festive break. Um, And yeah, thank you for your time in recording this really important podcast episode, Meg. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I hope that you have a lovely holiday period.
Hello, my name is Avalon and I'm an undergraduate psychology student. I really enjoyed reading The Aspiring Psychologist Collective and I really honestly just couldn't put it down. I found it really helpful because as I'm in my final year, I'm starting to think about what I'd like to do after uni. And up until this point, I've been very set on the idea of pursuing an AP role. And the Aspiring Psychologist Collective helped me to see that there are so many more options out there that may appeal to me. And I'm looking forward to exploring some of these and broadening out my options. And I also really appreciated that people were open about their lived experience and how they navigated this over their psychology journey. I've had lived experience of an eating disorder, so it was really inspiring to hear about how people have brought that into their reflections and how it shaped the clinicians that they are today. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. My name is Diakolola Amujo. I am a recent psychology graduate from Ireland. I am also an aspiring clinical psychologist. Dr. Marion's book, The Clinical Psychologist Collective, has been so helpful to me on this journey to becoming a clinical psychologist. As I plan to continue postgraduate studies in the UK, I found it extremely useful that this book provided in-depth information on the UK DeClinSci application process. I enjoyed reading about the experiences of both qualified and trainee clinical psychologists. The various narratives were my favorite part of the book as everyone's story was different and it provided amazing insights into the clinical psychology journey. I would definitely recommend this book to anyone interested in psychology and aspires to become a clinical psychologist.